0: Welcome to Not Sheathed, which is different from unsheathed or not cast um, in ways that I hope are obvious. Uh, I'm Kyle Gold. I'm normally on unsheathed with a variety of literary co-hosts. I'm Fuzz Wolf. I'm normally on not cast with Savrin and Shiva. Um, And we decided that since our co-hosts are either not present or not available to record a podcast with us, and we like sitting in front of microphones yammering at people... Uh, we would do our own version of it. And we first did it at FWA like five years ago or something, four years ago maybe. I don't remember when it was. I need
1: to actually go back and chart it all because I don't even know what episode number this would be. Yeah,
0: I I think maybe fourth. Like we did it at FWA twice. I think we've done it here twice. And we did it at Rocky Mountain. We we did did do it at Rocky Mountain. We did it at
1: Rainforest one year as well. Uh, Because the next year I wasn't there and you did it with Tube. But the, the year before that... We did one.
0: Wow, and that's Ricky right. Because, yeah, because wasn't, or yeah, KM wasn't coming for right. a little while.
1: So, did we just count six already?
0: This, Maybe this might be like seven. this might be six or seven. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um. So anyway, we we don't ever have like a set format for these things. We just kind of talk about the convention and we talk about stuff going on in our lives. And um, as as Fuzz has said a couple times already. Basically, probably for the next hour, we're going to be talking largely about Zootopia because we've all just seen it in the last week. And uh, I actually need to know: has anyone in the audience not seen it yet? Like, how many spoil? All right, so we need to we need to be a little bit. Uh, no, I don't want to spoil it for it. I don't want to spoil it for anyone uh, because.
1: Mentioned a Butler did it.
0: I was <laughs> in in like the couple of weeks leading up to it when it was released internationally, and all our international friends were like. I'm not going to write any spoilers, but I really, really liked it. And I, it was, and I was just like, shut up, I don't want to know anything about it. <laughs> like, somebody ruined the sixth sense for me by just telling me that there was a twist. And oh, yeah. So you were looking... Yeah, for the and they're like, I don't want to spoil anything, but the twist is really cool. And I'm like, so now I know there's a twist. So I just wanted to avoid everything to do with the movie. Um, yeah. So I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to do that, but we will. we will... Try to leave out like specific plot points And, and mm-hmm. we'll be a little Maybe we'll talk about a few other things If we have to Like this convention we're at Right So, uh, yeah, so talk, yeah. I, um, talk about this convention I, I, I just like, I was for like just going to say
1: about Zootopia I mean <laughs> there, there are no actual sex scenes But that should not impact Your decision to go and see it It is still a very good
0: movie I know we're
1: furries and all, but it's totally worth seeing anyway.
0: But. Okay, so, it's a it's a legit good movie. Like, I I'm I'm telling all my non-furry friends to go see it. <laughs>
1: I didn't mean to get you started. on and it. I,
0: I, <laughs> and we'll talk about furry fiesta in a second. Like, whatever. <laughs> that old thing. <laughs> furry fiesta is awesome. You it's all know old and busted. It's nine. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm telling all my non-furry friends to go see it. And and I'm like, it's really hard to recommend it because they're like, right, right. You want me to see the movie with the cute fox? I understand why you like it. And I'm like, no. Listen, like. Like we spent I spent the entire weekend It came out Not the entire weekend Because I was gone for part of it But The Furry Writers Guild Has has these extra You know We have a Slack Channel Or Slack It's
1: like IRC room. You can make different channels And so we it. make
0: little channels And so we made a Zootopia channel Where people could go And talk about the movie With Who had seen it already So we didn't have to talk about it In the main chat rooms and we spent the whole weekend talking about how good the writing was and how good the the filmmaking was in it and the world building and the, the you know, just all the, the things. And actually very little time talking about how cute the furries were in it and, you know, how much we wanted to just, like, a hug, hug Nick. Yeah, exactly.
1: Because <laughs> it's sort of like it's a given – that we uh, we know they're cute. Right. That's like the baseline, and and you like it's so obvious. And Disney does it so well. You immediately jump to okay, did it? Because like our fandom has hyped up this movie for a year or eighteen months at this point. Yeah, good year and, and a half. It really says something about the film that it it met and exceeded all my expectations. And I was trying not to build my own hype up too much. To something that couldn't possibly be met, but, but man, it, it totally <laughs> delivered, and that really says a lot about just the, the writing and directing, and it's something we talk about a lot in, in furry writing circles generally is world building. It's a big part of writing, and in particular, furry world building, and why are they animals, and if they're animals, how would this work, and Zootopia puts so much of that into the movie. That you could kind of deconstruct and it's just so fantastic on so many levels.
0: And they, they strike a balance because it's definitely the world building is very clearly thought out. But there's also a couple points where they throw in elements for humor, which if you kind of if you try to dig down and you're like, well, why would this actually happen? And again, It wouldn't actually happen, but they put it in to make it funny. And mm-hmm. and so and it's a neat example of a balance between storytelling and, and you know, you're, you're, you're obviously targeting this movie at people and you're saying, this would be really cool if it all worked like this. And this would be kind of, this is kind of funny to the humans watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we're at Furry Fiesta. We're Furry Fiesta.
1: Yes, 2016. 16.
0: How many years of Furry Fiesta is this? So this is the 8th of uh, Furry
1: Fiesta. Yeah. That's amazing. And I and I'm sort of predicting that we'll hit about 3000 people this year.
0: You know, last George, year George was- George W Bush was president during the first Furry Fiesta.
1: Um no. Was he not? Obama was, would have been sworn in January of 2009, and Fiesta took place oh, in February okay. of 2009. So
0: there's only been one U.S. president under Furry Fiesta.
1: That's right. Yes. <laughs> president
0: Foxington. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Furry Fiesta. So Furry Fiesta. Yes. So we're at Furry Fiesta. It's super cool. It's in Dallas. This is the second hotel it's been in, the Intercontinental, which is, which is a really neat hotel. And... Um, Furry Fiesta is in that that sweet spot right now where I think the hotel has a really good intimate feel to it Um, it feels very convivial and like the the lobby and bar areas are large enough to accommodate the crowds um, so that everybody can stand around and kind of have a gathering place and yet the con is still large enough that you have a really good dealer's room, an artist alley, an art show, and lots of good paneling panels and paneling. But um, mm-hmm. it's and a classy it, joint. It is. It is a classy joint.
1: <laughs> All uh, these years um, we've been at this hotel, I've still never been down to Kempy's, apart from before the con when it was empty. So I really oh should. down
0: yeah down to yeah, the have bottom you been down there. Okay. Uh, I was down there. Um, last year when Amadia and uh, Pepper oh, did, like, a, did jazz a little jazzy thing down there, I yeah, wish I'd seen that. I'm sure it was, somebody videoed it. Was it was really cool.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: By the yeah, way, it was super cool, and it'll probably never happen again. I mean, sorry you missed it, but <laughs> uh, well, the other thing this
1: year we we have the malachite um ballroom also, and I I. I hadn't been in there before, and it happened. Has anyone stopped by the Malachite Ballroom and take a look at it? Isn't it such a cool looking place? It's got like all this green and decorative. Anyway, uh, AJ was in there doing a, a show at the time I saw, it and it's a really cool performing space. Oh, nice! Should go check it out. It were great for Pepper and concert last. Month. Oh, that's what they did in there. Uh, awesome. Oh, it's very I that one. cool. Yeah, it looks it, it's it's a great like intimate little area for, but with the central stage for for a performance. So I you know I hope we're at this hotel at least a, a few more years till we till we outgrow it eventually. But
0: the con yeah, then, keeps growing. So. Then then where do you go? Like the Dallas Convention Center?
1: Probably not quite the convention center, but we've talked about that and like. Akon, Project Akon, is like this massive anime convention here in Dallas. And for many years, they were at the Sheraton in downtown, uh, which has an attached convention center, and it has an attached um, plaza that has some restaurants and stuff in it. There, it's not as good as Addison for all the different restaurants and stuff like that. And it's like, that's been suggested, but that might be too big, because Akon was like 18,000 people. There And that's kind of the problem. It's like Dallas has a similar problem to uh, what uh, Rainforest ran into mm-hmm. in Seattle. There's a lot of these venues that are good for, like, the three to 5,000 range, which is where we're at now and we'll be fine. And then you go from 5,000 to, like, 15,000. And there's not a lot that kind of covers that middle ground. So we'd have to find someone that was willing to like, to kind of negotiate out we'll, we have part of this area or whatever. You don't need the whole thing for twenty thousand people because you're not an anime con yet. Or, mm. you know. So it's it's an interesting problem. Um, downtown has some nice features. Then there's um, there's a then there, of course there is a convention center downtown down that, further down That would south. be that would be but pretty big. That's huge. Like Dallas Comic Con is down there and they have like fifty thousand people or something like that. So. That's It's also ridiculously expensive, from what the I way, understand. The way a lot...
0: Yeah, 50,000 doesn't mean 50,000 individual people, probably. I don't know exactly, but mm-hmm. a lot of the smaller Comic-Cons... So San Diego Comic-Con counts its memberships by a uh, number of individual people who have bought any ticket, mm-hmm. including, like, if you buy a four-day ticket or if you buy two one-day tickets, they just count that as one person. A lot of the individual mm-hmm. Comic-Cons count their membership as number of people who go through the doors. So if you go to that con for three days, they count you as three people because you went through the doors three times. Oh. Um, so that's, that's how a lot of those smaller Comic-Cons get up to numbers like 40 and 50 and 75,000 so quickly. It's uh, because they're okay. counting each day. And there's no, there's no standard of counting. So 50,000 probably means something more like 20,000 total people. Mm, okay. um, still pretty big. It's, which is Yeah, I mean, that's still very big. I know you're not majorly into
1: this, but, oh, my God, I'm going to meet Peter Capaldi in a couple of months.
0: Oh, go ahead. Gush about it. I mean, this is
1: just uh, for... He's at um, Fan Expo here in Dallas. He's or... one of those Battlestar
0: Galactica people, right? That's right.
1: right. Yeah. Uh, Battlestar to the Future is uh, the full title. Uh, no. Um, the con- It's This is Doctor Who. It's like, does anyone in the audience like Doctor Who? Woo! Uh. Yay! So the con is getting the 12th Doctor, Clara, Missy, and Martha so far. And they usually announce more people closer to the time. Um, They're also getting um, the actress who plays um, Peggy Carter in Agent Carter. Wow, cool. They're getting like a ton of different people. But of course, this is Capaldi's first uh, convention appearance, I think outside of like San Diego Comic Con. Oh, okay.
0: So, yeah. I know. That's a big deal.
1: Yeah, so I'm, like, really excited to meet him. I'm going to have him hold my um, my badger, like I have with, like... Several of the doctors now have met Fez, the little badger mascot for Fur Planet. So I've got a really nice picture of him wearing a Fez and then Matt Smith holding him. So <laughs> I will be, I'll be keeping actually, that, that That's actually super awesome.
0: Yeah, and, my- and
1: all the actors have been totally, like... Like, Matt Smith was like, ah, you know, like, he was really excited... Because the badger was wearing a fez. So.
0: We have a picture of a former professional football player holding our little stuffed Fennec fox. Um, and he was super cool about it. Like he's smiling and everything. He was yeah. really happy. It's really, we, we happened to be in, the, in a restaurant in, in Vegas, and our waiter said, Hey, you know who that is at the, at the next table? And, uh, and we were like, No. And he's like, It's this guy from the Ravens. Mm-hmm. And he had just retired. And so we went over, and my husband is a Denver fan, and Denver-Baltimore had a big rivalry for a while. And so mm-hmm. he was like, "Hey, I always really admired you. I mean, I hated you because you beat my teams all the time." But and the guy was like, "Ah oh, ha ha, that's that's cool. Thanks so much." And then we were like, yeah. "Would you take a picture with our little stuffed fox?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." And he held it, and we took his picture. He's probably been asked to do weirder things. Oh God, I'm sure.
1: Know? And that's really cute. the other thing um, I did with the uh, the stuffed animals was. Um, went at one of Doctor Who conventions and I asked the security guy, I was like hey, do you mind if I have the actors hold these? And he's like, okay but make it quick and, and I'm like, okay, cool so one of the things that's going on in Britain right now that's very unfortunate is, is, is a uh, badger call where the government believes that if they kill um, badgers they can stop some sort of Not plague, but there's some sort of disease that spreads to domestic farm animals, and they think that the badger sets are are causing this. And the science actually proves that they're wrong, but politically, they want to like stick to their guns. And somebody who's been very active in 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 vocal against doing this is Colin Baker, who plays the sixth um, doctor. And I went to a con that had him, the Fifth Doctor, and the Eighth Doctor. So when I walked up to him and I asked Colin to hold my Badger, um, and he's like, oh, you talked to me on Twitter. And I was like, yes, I did. And and Peter Davison, the Fifth Doctor, asks him what the Badger's about. And then Colin holds up the line for ten minutes, explaining to Peter Davison and Paul McGann about the Badger call and what's going on. and why I brought a badger for him to hold. So, and I'm just looking at the security guys like, "Stop me. The guest is holding up the line. It's not my fault anymore.
0: That's really funny.
1: But I, I love that they get into it. And it's great that the actors are all very vocal about that and are trying to save the wildlife. And there is some, some movement on, on stopping that.
0: So That's cool. Um, I I don't have a celebrity saving wildlife story, except that uh, man. I hope I'm I hope I'm getting the name right. I probably shouldn't say it because I can't remember who it is anymore. Um, there was some there was some British actor who I formerly liked, and then I found out that he went out and supported fox hunting, and then I was like, oh. "Now you're a jerk." Yeah,
1: I've I've been really lucky that like all my favorite actors from especially from Doctor Who that I've grown up with, they've all come out to be very very liberal very pro-gay rights very pro animal rights
0: and I just kind of go
1: squee they wouldn't <laughs> hate me if they met me you know. <laughs>
0: it's it's really nice when your heroes share your values it you really know. is
1: yeah it's like it's a little thing but you know when I see one of the companion actresses being like oh this is disgusting because um, a gay couples being discriminated against or something part of me goes you go Perry you know because she's got 75,000 followers and can like spread the word about you know injustices in the world and things like that.
0: So, so on sort of on that note, um, a a guy that I sort of sort of know th- from the science fiction community, uh, John Scalzi, who's oh, yeah. who's very prominent in the community. And I'm, I'm tra- not trying to name drop him. I'm I'm trying to sort of say disclaimer. I have some you know I went to a it's workshop okay, with him Kyle. at one point. I met him too. Um, you did meet him actually. Yes. That's right. <laughs> um, but if you saw the article recently about the um, Syrian refugees housed in the hotel with Vancouver...
1: Yes, um, yes.
0: He, he retweeted that. And, oh, awesome. And quoted it said at the top and said, Spoiler, everyone was fine with it because why wouldn't they be? Nice. And I was like, that was pretty awesome, actually. That's
1: fantastic. Yeah, because I saw some kind of douchey responses to the original tweet. So it's really cool that somebody that prominent that has a following is like, you know, we yeah. no problem with the furries, you know. Uh, and this is something I'm, I remember the last time I talked about this, but um, like, um, so I met John Scalzi at Con DFW, which is a sci-fi literary convention here in Dallas. It took place last month. Uh, it's a very small con, but it's fun. It was neat to network with people. Um and I met uh, Lauren Sean, or mm-hmm. Lorne Schoen, rather, who yep. wrote Barsk, uh, and I got Scalsey. When I say I met Scalsey, I didn't mean we were, like, hanging out in the bar at Best Buds. He, he autographed one of, the, one of his books for me. But um, the whole weekend, I actually had a, a dealer's table there and a small number of our furry books. So much of my weekend involved explaining what is this anthropomorphic fiction about to science fiction fans. And the reactions ranged from, huh, that's kind of interesting, to, oh, yeah, like so-and-so used to write, you know, mentioning, like, S. Andrew Swan or, you know, name any Larry Niven or Alan Dean Foster. Like, it was something relatable to them. I I didn't have a single negative encounter that weekend. Nobody was like, oh, furries, this is screwed up and gross or anything like that. So... That's very and, cool. And, and yeah. my message behind that is we internalize a lot of crap and think, oh, my God, the world hates us and everything like that. But And I know you have some experience also interacting with other writers outside of the furry community and kind of encountered the same thing where people are like, oh, the animal thing, that's kind of interesting. Yep. And we've had those experiences, and the world doesn't hate us and is – Freaked out by us the way that we think they they are. There's some douchebags on the internet that are like ooh furries, but they really appear to be in the minority at this point. And I think it's it's definitely something to kind of kind of take on board. Like we're not the reviled outsider like we think we are.
0: Yeah, and actually, um, Rikoshi and I were talking about this just recently, and independently, both came up with the term negative exceptionalism, um, because and it's, I don't think this is unique to furry fandom, even. We're not, we're not even the most down on ourselves of all the fandoms, which I think is amusing. But we we do have a history. And I think in some cases, it, was, it came out of the fact that when people outside the fandom first started to be aware of us, they publicized the weirdest elements. And a few extreme people on the internet latched on to those and took it and made it a very negative thing. And for a while, furries were getting beaten up on the internet, figuratively, not literally. Um, But really, I don't even, I mean, we got, we got very media shy for a while and Mm -hmm. then, and then that passed. And we sort of realized that, you know, the best way to convince people of who we are is just to let them walk around and see who we are. And, we're seeing more and more articles like every year I see two or three articles about hey I went to a furry con and I didn't know what to expect and I thought it was going to be really weird but everyone was so nice like that seems to be the recurring theme in all of these articles everyone was so nice and um, like it's people are starting to get used to that Mm -hmm. and they're still like you know it's a little weird and I don't quite understand it but they don't seem to be hurting anyone. And, um, we're still, I mean, when it comes to actually like, Hey, do you want to buy the stuff that we produce? eh, They're still not so sure about that all the time. Um, and especially when it comes to writing, but we are trying to, we are trying to change that. Um, I think Lawrence's book Barsk is, Mm -hmm. is, is very helpful because, he is interested – like he joined the Furry Writers Guild. He is absolutely on board with the idea that this is a furry book. He's not like one of those people who said, well, no, this is science fiction. It just has anthropomorphic animal characters. But that doesn't make it furry, um, which, is, which has kind of happened. But, um, but, yeah, he's totally into this community, and why wouldn't he be? Here's a bunch of people who, for whom his book is uniquely targeted – um, you know, Disney was utopia. Of, like I, I said I wrote this. I wrote this blog post about it, which I'm probably gonna re-link to in a tweet tomorrow because just for like I saw it again and everything is still true. Um, and I said Disney did not create this movie for the furry fandom. Really, it feels like when you read about the accounts of how it came about, it came about because two people who are very well positioned at Disney to decide what movies get made really like movies with talking like specifically John Lasseter said I'll I will listen to a pitch for any movie that has animals walking around wearing clothes <laughs> um, and and so and he loves that Byron Howard who directed Zootopia loves it um, and they're so they they made this movie you know primarily for themselves but they're certainly not shying away from the fact that there is a hundred to 200,000 strong worldwide community who are going to go absolutely nuts over their movie um, mm-hmm. and spend lots of money seeing it many times in the theater, buying merchandise. Um, how many of the Art of Zootopia books did you get for this con? So I had two boxes, so that was 24
1: of them. It is a $40 book, and we sold out in three hours.
0: Yeah. The, for, for an item like that and, – and by the way, it's a gorgeous book. If you're listening to this and you haven't bought it yet, go on to Amazon and order it.
1: I'd love to sell you one,
0: but I don't have any left. So. <laughs> and you're not getting my copy. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, Disney's not like full-on marketing it at the fandom. They're, they don't need to. We went out and found it. Mm. But they are doing things like – a guy from Disney Marketing contacted a furry, a, a fursuiting group up in Washington and said, mm-hmm. Hey, if you guys have pictures of yourselves um, going out to, to see the movie or something, like send us some pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I
1: wasn't just a marketing guy, it was somebody else that was in the production staff of the film that said that. And, and the euphemism he used was if you, go, if you go to the theater all dressed up, <laughs>
0: there was a separate thing.
1: That, okay, this was a separate thing. There
0: was somebody who specifically reached out to the Washington Fursuit Group. Ah, there was okay, another guy cool. who just tweeted generally, hey, if you go to see the movie in costume, send us pictures. Yeah. Um,
1: and also there was um, one of the, I think it might have been one of the, the uh, co-director, had like tweeted a picture of the dancing tigers, and had tweeted something like, fueling that furry fire. <laughs> like So like, specifically calling out our fandom. And... And this is important because, like, uh, 20 years ago, back when I lived in Florida, I knew several furs that worked at Disney. And all of them, whether they were in the park or they did, did IT or they were in animation, they were all in the closet about being furries. And in some cases in the closet about not being straight. Now, I don't know if that was actually a Disney cultural thing or not.
0: But they were I don't think Disney's been really open for to towards gay people for a long time. Okay. Like they've had they've had unofficial gay days at Disney that the That's true. park absolutely yeah. knew about. But they were all terrified of being discovered to be furries.
1: And a couple apparently one of the directors really hated furries and it could affect people's jobs. And now, you know, flash forward 2016 and we've got you know, we have social media now, it's a little different, but we've got co directors like fuel that furry fire, like reaching out to us, wanting pictures of people. And actually, I saw another one that was like, if, if you all go to the theater together, we want to hear about it. And people were tweeting them like the Minnesota group, or either Minnesota or Michigan, it was an M state, had <laughs> like a hundred. There's eight of those. I don't narrow it down. It it had 190 people show up for the furry showing of Zootopia, and that was the
0: largest one. That's Uh, amazing. Ireland? Maryland. Maryland. Maryland.
2: They
1: they they rented out the entire theater. Yeah, uh, lots of them have done that. That's what the one with the 190 was. Um, Here at Furry Fiesta, our uh, super sponsor luncheon, was dinner and a movie and was rented the, the largest theater. Apparently originally it was not the largest theater and then as we got more and more super sponsors they had to upgrade us to the largest theater at that particular cinema. And that's, yeah. uh, that's pretty our, awesome.
0: Um, our, our esteemed technical, um, technical Fox I believe was on that um, Did you trip. go to the
1: super sponsor thingy?
0: Yeah. yeah. But just, was, was it a cool theater? <laughs> He's nodding and eyes wide, ears perked. All <laughs> um, waggy.
1: Yes. But it's interesting to me how much um, the culture at Disney has shifted uh, in that time towards our community. And also that Disney does not have like some kind of gag order on their production staff interacting on social media. So that's a good sign. Do you, too.
0: you you know about the guy who contacted um, Mr. Mondolino from Adjective yep. Species. Yeah. So um, Mr. Mondolino and Adjective Species wrote a review. He's Italian, so he got to see the film like two weeks before it came out here. And he wrote a review and, was, and like basically labeled it, A Review of Zootopia by a Furry. And one of the guys on the production staff like tweeted back at him and was like, Thanks for that review. It's really awesome. Mm-hmm. And they started chatting back and forth, and they're they 're still apparently chatting and um, Mondo asked him, "Would you be able to do an interview for our site um, And the guy was willing to do it, but had to run it through disney legal and disney p r and they basically said, "Nothing below the level of a nationally circulating u s publication is going to get any kind of clearance for an interview at this point because they 're slammed they 're slammed, yeah, yeah um, but so not, you know, the guy was willing to do it, yeah. and he came out on social media in on public Twitter and is you know not going to get fired for it.
1: Yeah, and the answer wasn't no because you're furries. It was right. no because like everyone and their mother wants to interview our production staff because this movie is literally breaking records in sales right now.
0: And I think I think part of the change is you know when twenty years ago. Disney's view of furries was those people who turn our cartoons into sex objects and they've started to realize now that the culture is way bigger than that and that those people are there but by and large most of us can separate out and and know better than to be like hey Disney here's this picture I drew of such and such and and you know no whatever how about just hey Disney your characters are awesome and I made a costume of one of them um, oh, that reminds me. I've got to show
1: you this tweet. It's this great animation of Judy. And gonna Nick be, and it's gonna be. It's gonna be great
0: over the podcast. Yeah, yeah. show it. <laughs> I mean, I want to see it.
1: Oh, so
2: okay.
1: <laughs> It's a dirty picture, though. Oh, is it? I don't know if I want to see it. That's that's what I was joking about. I was like I've got this great like oral oh, sex. Oh, see, I don't. <laughs> no,
0: I don't want. I don't want that. I changed my mind. Put it away. Um, but it's so well animated. No, and I don't care. That. Did you see the? Did you see the picture of them posing for the picture, and he's holding up his fingers over her oh, head the, like rabbit ears? Have you seen the follow up? picture? Uh, I don't know if the, I have.
1: There's a, a, a follow up. Uh, we warned you, right? These, these were, yeah, these were little animated gifs. Um, that uh, my likes are not loading because we're in a room with shitty internet, I guess. But she basically, the follow up image is she notices and she brushes his hand and kind of elbows
0: him. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the one. Oh, because that's what the, I mean.
1: the, the first one is she, she pushes her ear back like she's doing her hair and he pops his finger. Oh, I didn't
0: see the first one then. Yeah. Okay.
1: So that came out like a month or so ago, I think.
0: Anyway, we, we, we liked the movie a lot. <clears throat>
1: Right, yeah.
0: So Zootopia. So yeah. Also,
1: Furry Fiesta. Um, How is your Furry Fiesta? Usually, I released a
0: book here. Uh, We're we're what thirty minutes into the podcast, and I haven't Uh, talked about my new book yet. So that's you should probably
1: mention that.
0: Uh, So I released a book here. It's called Black Angel. Um, I've completed two long running series that basically um, are the majority of what I've been writing for the past um, seven years. Um, The last Out of Position book came out in January. The last Dangerous Spirits book is Black Angel, which came out here. Um, It's it's a big book (laughs) (laughs) Um, by comparison to the others. I read it electronically,
1: and I didn't really... Think about word count. I was just reading it, so I didn't realize how much larger than the other two books it was when I was reading it. And then when I saw the printed one, and I was like, "This is the size of the first out of position book."
0: Yeah, I think that. I think that is. Uh, I will take that as a compliment to the writing that it didn't feel longer than the other ones. No, not um, at all. Yeah, I. Uh, I actually, <laughs> it's it's always difficult writing follow up books because especially to books that did well or did popular did did well or were well reviewed and so like every single out of position book gave me um nerves and and just like sweats and pacing and all that because I'm like what if people don't like this as much as the other ones and especially the last one because I'm like this is the last one and endings are so important to me so writing the last book and then having the last book end properly um took me a long time to work out. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of like J.K. Rowling, I had written the actual epilogue to this book about three years ago. Um, but unlike J.K. Rowling, I modified it quite a bit from where I'd written it. I knew the phrase that I wanted it to end with, which is a callback to the very, very, very beginning of the series. And Desmond um, Lee's
1: son was sorted into Hufflepuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Lee disowned him because Ravenclaw
2: um,
0: <laughs> but uh, but to get the actual book ending right is difficult and, in, and the weird the, the thing that I most thought about for reference was actually the endings of some of my favorite sitcoms because it's sort of a similar situation right you've got this world that you've been living with for a while these characters that you're familiar with and the way that you decide to end the series determines how the readers or viewers feel about these characters going forward. Mm. And It's like how you can retroactively make people hate an earlier movie if the sequel really sucks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, although the Hobbit movies haven't made me hate the Lord of the Rings movies quite yet. Um, but and I still
1: uh, like the original Star Wars trilogy
0: <laughs> Yes, very true <laughs> um, But the, the sitcom that I went to most uh, I think most for this one was Cheers Which was a show that I sort of caught the tail end of As it was going off the air um, But I had watched it enough to really Develop an affection for the characters And to um, And to feel that the ending really did them justice uh, And that we, uh, that we were leaving the show and the characters in a certain kind of place with a certain kind of mood. As opposed to, say, the ending to Seinfeld, which is legendary for how badly it was received at the time. Hmm. And some people have gone on to say, well, you know, it wasn't that bad if you watch it. It's actually kind of funny and and so on. But I still really don't like the way that ended. Um, and and partly it's just because it was not a well-written episode, I thought, but also partly it's because the whole point of the show is it takes the characters back to the very beginning. And, and that was what they were trying to do. They were trying to say, the characters are just going back to the beginning. They haven't learned anything. They're in exactly the same place. They haven't moved at all. Whereas the last episode of Cheers shows movement on the part of... Small movement on the part of most of the characters, but most of all on the main one. And he comes out of that episode with the revelation of what's important in his life. And so I wanted to do something like that.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, So, with the last Out of Position book, I really wanted to um, make sure that people were leaving with the right feeling with the Last Dangerous Spirits book, um, I was more nervous because I was writing three female characters than because I was writing the last book in a series because this series was... It jumped around between lots of... I mean, there's like nine different main characters over three books. So you didn't really get to fall in love with people the way you did Devon Lee. And I didn't feel as bad about that. But I do think it ties up the series pretty well. Mm -hmm. even, Even if... Kind of the way it ties things up is sort of left as an exercise to the reader. And it's, it's been well received by the three people who have read it so far. So yay. It's, hope everyone else likes it too.
1: I liked it. I know I'm a little biased because I'm selling it. You know, By the way,
0: you can buy it at my table tomorrow. Um, but no, I really, I really it. enjoyed it. Um, and he will totally sign it. What is starting to happen is I'm starting to get people's feedback on the last Out of Position book. Um, ah. which they're reading from having bought it at FC or bought it online at in February or March. Mm-hmm. And generally, that's all been very positive. I've gotten a couple people complaining, oh, you didn't wrap up this thing, or you didn't wrap up this thing, or I thought this thing was more important than you made it out to be. But generally, they all start those letters with, I really enjoyed the book, so it's all, I really enjoyed the book, but, which it is fine. It kind of
1: shows, even those criticisms show that. They were paying attention and that they were invested enough in the series that they really cared about those points.
0: Yeah, which is really cool. And um, and I hope people... I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm staying... I'm going to keep writing in that world. Uh, I hope people will pick up some of the new stuff that I'm working on because I'm super excited about that too. Um, even if some of it's a little bit different. Um, but I'm never going to... I'm, I'm, move, I'm, I'm trying to write things that are going to be more accessible to lots of other audiences but I'm also still going to be doing these furry books for a while because I'm a, um, a I'm a big furry at heart and um, and I just love doing them I'm a fox <laughs> and I'm <am> a wolf <laughs> so what is it with the howling <laughs> <laughs> trade secret uh, <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I one of the little things about that that I love is that the wolf's name is Gary I, 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 I don't know why it's just because it is such an ordinary name and his friend is like Gary don't you'll start a howl and that is hilarious to me for reasons I can't even articulate <laughs>
0: it's it's right where we live right it's it's at yeah, that yeah. boundary he has a he has an ordinary human name but he's a wolf and he's going to start howling and they're you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. and his friend knows that and um, people, people, by the way, are, are, are shipping those two wolves really heavily oh, yeah, right now. Yeah. Like the two guard wolves are all like, those two are totally gay for each other <laughs> based on 20 seconds of film. It's really well, hysterical.
1: Even before that, I saw the, the looping, um, gif of that and it was like white wolf can no longer contain his love for brown wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Whatever. Um,
1: it could be, or it could adopt.
0: Yeah, it's um,
1: it God is such a good movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and I, it, it's it's funny, like I don't know, I don't know where I was going with that. Talk about something else, okay? Or or just some other topic. Oh
1: well, I was just gonna say. I mean, because we usually talk about our weekend and how we're doing and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I was yeah. Like yeah, I mean. It's been a it's been a good fiesta. I've had a couple of good dinners. Sales have been going well. Um I actually wanted to ask you if you had like a like a highlight moment so far in the con.
0: Um seeing Zootopia in the big theater with you guys. Actually, yeah,
1: that was that was really cool. We went to the the uh, cinema that had the Dolby Atmos on there. So like every time there was an elephant or a buffalo, like your butt would shake because of the, the Atlas sound system.
0: And the screen was huge. Yeah,
1: the screen was huge. Also, um, I may I don't know if I think I mentioned this to you earlier, but like so the first time I watched it, during the, the DMV scene, I'm watching the sloths because they're hilarious and the really slow motion of taking the stamp off the paper and it's sticking. The second time I watched it, I actually watched their customers more and just the, the reactions from these side characters that you can't even fully see in frame. But like one of them is some, is some kind of feline. He's like a cougar or something like that. And you can see him kind of like tapping his hand and, and then he kind of, face paws and it's all sort of in like a side <laughs> angle but they put all this detail in there and uh, the pig who's having her picture taken for a driver's oh license God. is standing here posing and looking out the corner <laughs> of her eye and standing here posing and then she finally moves and then it flashes. That's when it goes off. <laughs> which which brings back DMV horror stories for or flashbacks for me and and
0: one of the things they were apparently worried that the dmv would be too uniquely american of an experience but when they screened it internationally or or, you know talked to their international people they were like oh no we have bureaucracies too
1: (laughs) yeah it doesn't matter it's the dmv it's 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 a a government bureaucracy there's some analog somewhere in your culture
0: i still there's um in the uh, there's there's certain like brilliant moments of animation mm-hmm. and like i think of the remember the over the hedge movie yeah um it was it was not a it was not a terrible movie it was not particularly memorable for me except in that there's a one scene where they give the super jittery squirrel like more caffeine. Oh, it becomes like the quicksilver, scene. and it becomes like the quick. And he's suddenly like, he's moving normally, and the world is just frozen, slowing down, and he's going through it. And I was like, this is a brilliant animation moment. It's just, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think watching the sloth laugh <laughs> is another one of those moments. Like, yeah. I have, I have not yet. Seen people not crack up every time that happens. I've yeah. I've seen that sloth trailer like a half dozen times. I've seen the movie three times, and it still makes me laugh. Yeah, it's so brilliant. It, it, to watch it, it, It's
1: perfect timing because it is not too long <laughs> to be annoying, and it's not too short.
0: And, it, and you you well you because laugh you have enough the, you have enough time to have that moment of like yeah did he get the joke and and just as you're thinking that you like. Oh, he's moving, and then you're like, oh shit! <laughs> Look at what's <laughs> happening, <laughs> and then you're like, I can't stop watching. This is so amazing. <laughs> um, but I actually like, I now watch Nick during that their whole interaction. Even, even though mm-hmm. Judy Judy is like more overtly funny, mm-hmm. but Nick is hysterical to me to watch uh-huh. because he's he's watching her. And going back and forth from her to the sloth and like waiting for the right moment and then, and then he's like, Yeah. You can see one of the things that they said about animating Nick, I think this was in the art book, is uh-huh. they're like, foxes are very quick. They they have a thought and they act right away. And we wanted to get that into his animation. And so you can see that happen. Where with Judy, she she has a thought and then like she has moments of realization and then act. Nick is much more. Thought to action, mm-hmm. and so you can see him waiting for the right moment, and then immediately he just goes into, "Hey, Flash, want to hear a joke?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and just and his timing, you know, the timing and the pacing on that, the editing on that movie was fantastic. Uh, it, it, and also
1: watching Judy's nose twitch when yeah. she's
0: thinking or trying to figure something
1: out and everything—just uh. um, so we have anyway. a raised hand over there. Yes. So.
0: Hi, do we need? Wait, wait, wait. Let's get a mic out here. That way we'll be able to, the people on the recording can oh, also. Wow, hear you. that's
1: like a Orson welles like Invasion Earth kind of yeah. deal there.
2: So um I'm kind of a geek. I do all sorts of computery things. And when I first saw that trailer with the sloth laugh, uh-huh. I couldn't help but think that some animator had so much fun animating that laugh. Uh, like, I, yeah. Whoever I, yeah. did that put all of their love into that.
0: I, I have to admit that I the social media is such a recent thing. I did not follow social media in the days after Frozen or Tangled came out. But I've heard many, many people who worked on this movie talk about how much fun it was. And and how much work. I mean, they, they've been working mm-hmm. on this for four, at least three years. Because the one guy was like, mm-hmm. here's some sketches I made of Nick's apartment back when he was the main character in 2013. Yeah, Um, and there's there's tons and tons of stuff that just that was part of discarded story plots, and and I think that happens with many Mm -hmm. Disney movies. It's very rare that they go pitch to screen without some kind of big upheaval. Yeah, but uh,
1: for for those that don't know, like like you said, originally Nick was the main character, and it was much darker, and Nick was cynical, and he hated Zootopia, and. You know, didn't believe in anything that it stood for, and apparently they they animated it that way for quite a while. And then about a year before release, they realized that that they were going in the wrong direction, and that, that Judy was literally hopping over here like pick me, pick mm-hmm. me. And they realized that that having the character that is coming into the city and coming into the story with these preconceived notions of everything being wonderful and looking around with that sense of wonder and then meeting the the more cynical experienced character and kind of like the, the meeting between reality and what you think reality is was like a much more interesting way to go from a plot perspective. And it's right. really something that they put all that time and all that money and work into this and then realized we could do this, and it would kind of not be that great a story. Or we can spend all this extra time and money because the story will just be so much better if we suddenly change gears now. And the and, fact that they did that, I think, is awesome.
0: I think what what one of the directors said was, um, "Is it? Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. If it's if Jared Bush is the guy who was who came over from Wreck It Ralph, like Wreck It Ralph came out and finished." And then that guy came over to consult on Zootopia and mm-hmm. immediately looked at the story and was like, "Well, you've got the wrong main character." Mm. And they and they said, and we all just kind of stared at him. And when he outlined what he meant, we were all like, "Oh, like, duh! How did this <laughs> slip by?" Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's much it's much better from a plot standpoint to go from you have this world which appears to be ideal but actually is broken underneath, and then. The cracks are revealed in it, but you still have this ideal that you can work back towards rather than you're starting with this broken world already. That's kind of dystopic. And then you have this character who comes in with optimism and they were like they were having so much trouble with Judy because they were like, where does her optimism come from? And to start out with the ideal and then be able to have it broken down and built back up again is a much better story and they talked about a lot of things like with the voice actors they said we wanted jason to have like a nice jason bateman who voiced nick he's got this great like light comedic tone but also snarky and the darker the script got the more like we weren't using his his gifts like the reason that we wanted him on the thing Mm. and jennifer goodwin has a very great you know optimistic perky naive thing but and and again she wasn't being used properly either and they were like when we flipped the the story like all of Nick's lines suddenly became you know this guy it, it's basically like um this guy living in a world he thinks is broken but has to pretend is great which was essentially Jason Bateman's role on arrested development for like 3 years um and he and he's perfect for that and Jennifer Goodwin is, you know, Snow White <laughs> from Once Upon a Time, so she's got, oh. um, she's got that, that perfect sensibility as well. How's our time? Okay, uh, eleven thirty. Okay, um, so I don't know. Do you have more stuff to say, or do you want to take some questions from the audience? Oh, if we could take questions. <laughs>
2: Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, that's what Path was telling us earlier when the door closes completely.
0: It's I mean, the problem is it's loud outside and when people come in they disrupt the the thing. Like I think it's it's fine. Um so let's look, do you guys have anything you want us to talk about or questions for us or anything like that? Sure. Come grab the mic and Introduce yourself and ask your question.
2: This looks like an Oreo, by the way. It does, yeah. Yeah, I'm really hungry. It's a
0: gold-filled Oreo.
2: Um, yeah, so I'm Quinn. Hey, guys. Hey. Um, first comment, going back to an hour ago, talking about having celebrities hold animals. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I have a stuffed skunk, and because I'm also a pro wrestling fan, I try to challenge them by making them hold a stuffed animal any time uh-huh. I get a picture with one. And it always like, oh, okay. <laughs> and my husband took it and had '90s band sensation Hanson hold a stuffed skunk. Wow! <laughs> and they were very weirded out. Really? Who's to say? Interesting. So it's adorable.
0: Um, I we we did have a uh, a comedian hold our stuffed fox after a show and he was he was cool with it but then like partway through we were taking pictures and he's like wait is this some kind of thing am i going to end up like on youtube or something <laughs> and we were like no 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 it's just him. he he goes around getting his pictures with famous people and he was like oh okay
2: <laughs> it's just our thing i don't have friends to stand with me and you so here um but as far as a question mm-hmm. now that you Kyle now that you finished two series yeah as far as plotting out Sequels, I guess the best way to phrase this is when you're writing one part of a series, how much do you think you should put in as far as hinting or setting up the next one?
0: so the The two series that i've been that I've just recently finished I approached that differently um, out of position was almost always a huge scale story. I once foolishly thought it would only be one book. Um, once you decided they were going to space though. Yeah, then that, that screwed things up because they had to go into astronaut training. But <laughs> the so so all of the books so all of those books had different challenges, which were how do I take this part of the story and make it a complete journey? While still leaving room in the journey For the rest of the story Um, Achieved with varying degrees of success In the various books, I think But um, Green Fairy was originally conceived As a novella Which turned into a novel And I didn't know that there were going to be more Until I was going back through it And I thought, well, there's, you know I kind of want to write something about Alexei And he talked about you know, leaving his sister behind and there's probably something there and what if and the the inspiration for that actually um, is a book that I don't know how many of you are familiar with or a series by uh, John Belair's it's young adult horror um, the first book is The House with the Clock in Its Walls the second is The Figure in the Shadows and the third is The Letter of the Witch and the Ring uh, I read these ages and ages and ages ago and I I loved them He's he's a great um, great writer. But the first book has the main character being exposed to ghosts and supernatural stuff through his uncle. In the second one, he tries to go out and summon someone himself with sort of disastrous results. And so I kind of thought, well, if I were going to do another book like this, because I really enjoyed Green Fairy and I enjoyed the writing of it, and I wanted to do something else like it, I thought how would I do it differently So that it's not just like Oh and then Alexi found a book In the library And got weird dreams And then things started happening and, Because you want to do kind of something That's similar but not the same So I went back to Figure in the Shadows Where um, Lewis tries to summon a spirit To, to help him And Way overreaches himself and there was, like super creepy things where he keeps finding like pieces of paper with the letter V in this scrawling hand. And eventually like it's written over and over, and eventually he writes out the word venio, which is Latin for I come. And so there's all these portents that this this thing is going to come and, and, and I, I used a little bit of that feeling. Um but then once I'd written once I was writing Alexi's book, I knew that there would have to be a book for Meg. And so, I did drop a few hints into Red Devil about what was going to be in the third book. Um, Albeit, they are hints that are probably not recognizable as such. Um, They're just things that are going to support the third book. So, it really depends on uh, how much farther ahead you're planning. Um, Both of the series that I'm writing right now are already planned out as series. Um, they are also adding books to them. Uh, one started out as two books and then was three books and now is four. Uh, one, the other one is conceived as four books and is so far holding steady there, So, but we'll see. But I, I haven't even published the first book of either one, so I still have time to go back and and mess with them. So plotting ahead um, a fair amount gives me the time to make sure that things are put into these books that uh that will support the later ones more questions anyone else or topics topics to talk about something you want to hear us talk about that we haven't talked about already like i hear there's this new furry film out that disney put out like we could talk about that for a bit if you want (laughs) okay (laughs) grab the mic and introduce yourself and
1: you the one thing on the sloth that that you see it's not that they're slow; it's that they're running at quarter speed. Because if you watch, you see the muscles in their jaw and their eyes start to move and bunch up, and then it's just the expression moved across their face. I mean, not the detail you're getting; you actually see the whole thing in slow motion.
0: Yeah, which is which is why that's brilliant. Yeah, it's so well done. I.
1: I think i chuckle every time I see that scene.
0: <laughs> yeah. And but it but again, like like many of the scenes, it's sort of underhanded not underhandedly, it subtly reinforces <laughs> the theme of the movie because they they come in and <laughs> Judy's first comment is, They're all sloths? <laughs> and Nick says, yeah. Are you saying that just because he's a sloth he can't be fast? Yeah. And the way he delivers outlines is brilliant. Right. So it's all like all of their scenes are funny but then also also all pertain to this message and theme and, that runs through the movie at least up until you get to the second half when it it becomes a little more actiony but
1: I I love the the, the movie has a strong message like like the best kids films always do but it it's not overt and it doesn't beat you over the head with it some some people have
0: argued that point some people have, have yeah. been like well, oh, the message, they're wrong. The, yeah, well. <laughs> I, try, I try not to snark about other people's reviews because you know I get, uh-huh. I get reviews of my books where I've had two people say about the same exact book. One of them said, I finished the book, and then like 12 hours later, I realized what the message was about it, and it just hit me, and I had to stop. And I had someone else say, well, it was a pretty good book, but the message was like pounded into you with a sledgehammer all the way through it. And so we were like, eh, people are going to find... <laughs> different ways, but they. Someone commented. And I just want to say this because it it bugs me a little bit. Um, somebody said, "Well, you know, it was good, but it, the message wasn't as subtly delivered as as like the better Pixar movies." And my my response to that is, "Okay, maybe, but but a what Pixar movie has taken on a like." A broader, a broad issue like that. Most of the Pixar movies are very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're about very personal choices and decisions and and situations. The exception that I could think of, and and I, other people may have may come up with other ones, was The Incredibles, which talks a lot about you know when you're. It talks about people being extraordinary and not being allowed to show their gifts in public and and so on. And and that features such subtle lines as "When everyone's super, no one will be." <laughs> um, and uh, that was that was the one I looked up. The other one is is about the you know the kids asking their mom why can't we show their powers, and they're like we be, we can't be different, and they're like but we are different. It's not it's not really subtle, you know. I mean, mm. and the other argument is it's. It is a movie that has to be accessible to kids, so you can't have it be super subtle. But I think for what it does, it does a lot of really subtle things in there. Stuff, a couple of things that I didn't notice until people pointed them out to me. A couple of things that I noticed, and I was like, "Oh no," <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're but they're great. And and I, I have to think that if you don't think the movie is subtle enough, then it's because you're missing many of the subtle things it does
2: as far as pixar i actually found wall-e to be the most like heavy-handed pound the message cuz it's not even really in the wall catalog. you're
0: right wall-e does have the big it's it's like the big global warming issue and it is right. very heavy-handed about it
2: and i love the first 45 minutes of that cuz it's just a silent film and i thought that's really brave awesome mm-hmm. but the minute they go into space and it's not even Heavy-handed as far as the dialogue, because there's not a ton of dialogue in that movie, but big and large corporation, how the people have grown, you see it, but the characters don't really go through anything to do with it. I was like, yeah, I kind of got beat in the face. I definitely am aware of these issues now.
0: Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. not exactly subtle when all of your human characters are basically huge people who... who wander around on motorized chairs all the time and you know you talk about also also the pictures of a world filled with mountains of garbage is not exactly a subtle image either um it's a beautiful one but but yeah um actually the other one that i thought about was ratatouille which is maybe my second favorite pixar movie I'm not saying it's the second best, but it's my second favorite because it has Paris and it has cooking and it has a cute fuzzy rat who's voiced by Patton Oswalt. So, um, oh,
1: is that Patton Oswalt?
0: It is Patton Oswalt. I haven't seen the. I, I saw the
1: movie at theaters and I haven't seen it since. Oh my god,
0: you should watch it again. It's I so should, good. yeah, because I really enjoyed
1: it when I saw it.
0: I should um, pick it up sometime because
1: it, it is a cute fuzzy rat. So. It
0: is, and and but Ratatouille also has this message of like anyone can. Anyone can cook. Anyone can do what they want, and they, in Paris, anyone could be anything. In, yes, <laughs> but but Ratatouille also ends with a, I mean, a beautiful speech that gets me choked up whenever I hear it. But the speech by the food critic who who is just like you know delivers this thing oh. i was given this lesson and i you know i was treated to this delight and to my surprise i found that it came from a place i would never have expected and so i my mind has been changed and like that is also not subtle and my point is not to beat down pixar for not being subtle my point is to say if you're expecting a a disney or pixar film to have subtle messages in it mm-hmm. then maybe you're Watching the wrong kind of movie is is all. Um, and, that said, Utopia does have a couple things in it that are not that kids probably won't pick up on, but which definitely are there for adults. And I
1: think they'll, it'll, it, it, it's message is one that for kids will like sink in and maybe subconsciously, you know, and and it may be something they'll think about later on. And adults can kind of see it, you know, for for well, what there's it stuff is. like.
0: So I will give a specific example of one of the things sure. that that I sort of I sort of picked up on but didn't really pick up on like all of what was behind it until someone outside mentioned that scene again and then I was like oh right that mm-hmm. and it's just it's the first time Judy meets Nick and they're outside the store and she's like you know you're really you're a really nice person and so, so articulate, articulate. <laughs> and it's not it's delivered, and he his response is perfect like you know, yes and and I've rarely met someone so non patronizing and 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 you could leave it at that like she's clearly being just patronizing him, but also the whole thing of of like and and you're so articulate is something that has a history in this country of being used for minorities who are not expected to be well educated and and that's definitely intentional because that's part of the theme of the movie. It's not something that most kids are going to know. It's not something that many adults probably pick up on. But it's a thing that's there. And like like I said, I didn't pick up on it when I was watching the movie. I didn't pick up on it until my friends afterwards were like, and when she called him articulate, and then I was like, oh, shit, she did call him that. Oh, no. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and we were discussing earlier the uh, the, the fox mace yeah, that, you oh, know God. that she. You carry. We're your, spoiling it now. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, but you, you carry your prejudices. Prejudices around, and you forget that they're there. But as soon as you're challenged, you reach right for them. <coughs> and when she feels threatened by Nick, she she pops it and is ready to reach for it. And so I didn't and mean Nick's, to spray you with my fox uh, repellent.
0: That's <laughs> fine. And. And Nick's comment Wolf is: "Would never use fox or felon." Who am I kidding? <laughs> when is there not a need for a fox taser? Um, <clears throat> and and Nick's response to that is: mm-hmm. "I saw that the first time I met you, and it, again, it just—it's this indication of these things that we carry around with us that are so much a part of us that we forget about them until we're challenged. Other people see them." To the people to whom they mean something, they're super obvious, and it's just it's this great it's this great thing. It's a thing that like all kinds of films do. It's not a kids' film device. It's a thing where you have a token that substitutes for something, and the way it's used mirrors the way that these things are. Because you can't you can't be like this is my prejudice amulet, and I'm wearing it around my neck, and you know I can't remember that I have it on but everyone else can see it But
1: some people have prejudice they give robes
0: it, they, and they give it a very um, they, they put it right into the story and mm. they use it really well
1: Yeah. Sorry. thank you for being our microphone yeah, you handler
0: just, you should just keep the mic at this point until someone takes it from you in a, in a combat to the death <laughs> <laughs>
2: One thing that a lot of friends have commented to me on, and I think it just speaks to like the issues it's talking about, is how relevant a movie that was written a few years ago, and yeah. obviously probably rewritten, is so relevant right now. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was thinking right after I saw it, like not to get political on the cast or anything, but Hillary Clinton's dealing with the thing where she's labeling minorities as super predators, and after watching Zootopia, it's like, oh, wow, Okay, we hear that word in our culture to describe certain minorities, and it's right there in the movie. Yeah, it's just like wow. I, mean, I haven't been I th- paying attention. Yeah, I,
0: heard I, I missed comment. that one too. Yeah, I mean the other the other neat thing that they do is they f- they they again not to not to spoil too much of it, but they show very well that everyone has prejudices against them that everyone that you can you can have things turn around really quickly on you and that kind of prevents you from identifying well or it says who, whoever you identify with in the film somebody doesn't like you at one point in the movie and i think that's a really powerful thing for kids especially and, and also for some adults, but I think for the kids to be like, oh, they're going in and like, oh, I really like Judy and she's going to make the world better. And I'm, I'm the kind of person who makes the world better. And then they're just being like, I don't understand what happened. And they have to go on her journey with her, which I think is, is super cool. Anyway, that was his. Um,
1: so we got nine minutes and um, so just okay. basically time for one more. No, give, us, give, us, give us one more question. All right. Is the how considered disgraceful? No. Okay. <laughs> because that's one thing I was wondering if it would consider demeaning to be a how, to thought a how.
0: No. <laughs> it's just it's, – it's the kind of thing where it's like you're on duty. And, you know, clearly there's, clearly there's security risks. You would think that people would know better than to have a guard contingent made up exclusively of wolves, right? <laughs> Wouldn't there be, like, a couple bears in there and be like, oh, my God, they're howling again. All right, keep an eye out. And, like, you guys calm down in a couple minutes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's
0: sort of, it's sort of like the guys who disappear to take a smoke break. You know, it's a thing that, it's a thing that you do. You know, I'm going to go out behind the guard station and have a cigarette for a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, Except then everyone's like, "I want a cigarette too," and then they all like cluster behind the the thing. <laughs> but no, there's nothing disgraceful about it. I mean, that's how. So I'll I'll tell a quick quick story. I promise. Our our Kit Fox is is tapping his watch and glaring at us. Um, it's okay. We've locked the doors. <laughs> yeah. Um, my uh, my husband is a wolf, and his family is, um really... They're, they're, they're all wolves. They're too. such wolves. It's, it's really amusing. <laughs> I don't know how they lived before cell phones. Like, we were, we're on vacation with them. They, and they are They're constantly calling each other on the phones or texting each other to find out where the other ones are or what they're doing. And they're basically, like, howling all the time at each other to find out what's going on. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. <laughs> and, and it cracks me up. Because, like, my family's all like foxes. Like, we go years without speaking to each other, so... Um, <laughs> So I'm like, I don't know what it's like to be texting your family every other minute. That would (laughs) drive me insane. Um, But anyway, thank you. Uh, Thank you. guys. Do you have anything else that you'd like to add? I'm sort of just like, ha, ha, ha. We've locked you people out.
1: Yeah, can you let him in? Because that's going to be glass on the next panel. Um, No, I don't have anything else to add. I'm having a great time. Um, Launched two great books. Yay. We need to... uh, on that note, good night, Big ball. Now uh, we, we should wrap it up. But uh, thank you very much for uh, for coming out and spending time with us on a Saturday night. And
0: yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you as always to Furry Fiesta for hosting us uh, and allowing us to sit in front of microphones and talk at people for a while. Thank you so much to Carizo Kit Fox for supplying the equipment, generously donating thank his you. time to sit there with our voices in his ears. Um, which which is which is you know truly yeoman's work really
1: um, really appreciate it I kind of ambushed him um, also very,
0: I, actually in the, in the vein of cool things that happened at furry fiesta actually um, I rarely get to go to Carrizo's voice acting panels um, or the new Furrywood stuff that he's doing but I got to go to both today and they're super cool um, I got to be a um, a fox pretending to be Cajun poorly um,
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I got to be an angry spy who was also a fox. Uh, I basically looked through for all the fox roles and just took them. But um, but <laughs> highlighting the voice, them in red. The voice act. The voice acting is a lot of fun, and also it's really useful as an instructional panel because you go up, you have to do a run through cold. Like he doesn't give you any instruction. And then he'll go through and give you direction. And so you learn what it, what it is to take direction and how you can do things differently. And, um, mm-hmm. and so it's really cool. If you're at all interested in performing, absolutely, you should go to the, his panels. Um, if you're interested in the future of furry animation, you should go to his furrywood panels because those are, are super cool as well. Um, that, was, that was probably the non-Zootopia-related highlight of my convention so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, below, like dressing as Nick Wilde and getting a Nick Wilde badge and talking about Zootopia with everyone, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but, s- but soon enough you'll have your own obsessed. you'll have your own you'll have your own feature film out, and then we'll all be talking about that <laughs> Foxtopia. Um, but he's. Um, but yes, he's. He's generously donated his time and loaned us his equipment to do this podcast, and we could literally not have done this without him. Um, so.
1: And we. It's. We really need to wrap up. Yeah, we
0: need. We need to wrap this up because we have another panel coming in, and we have to break down. So. Um.
2: Kitopia?
0: What? Kit-to. Kitopia? For uh, to- oh, for him,
1: up- maybe. you'll think about it (laughs) so thank you again and uh, well that's a wrap good night